Welcome to Grace Point Church Podcast. We proclaim Christ crucified and uphold him as the only hope for the fallen world. On today's episode, you will hear from Reverend Harrison Mungai. Reverend Harrison is the lead pastor at Grace Point Church. Good morning and welcome to Christian Living on Fridays. Here we discuss theology, politics, economics and culture. And we've been on a journey thinking about biblical theology of leadership lately. This is especially um, inspired by the fact that this is uh, an important year in Kenyan politics where we will be making decisions for the next level uh, or for the next set of leaders all the way from uh, the member of county assembly uh, all the way to the presidency on August the 9th. It's however not a political discussion but rather um, a theological conversation around the place of leadership. My name is uh, Harrison Mugai. I serve as one of the elders at Grace Point Church in Kikuyu. We noticed last time that actually our sin is an affront against God's leadership. Uh, we notice that Genesis chapter 3 is basically a rejection. It's basically asking who is a king and actually rejecting the king and uh, almost installing ourselves as mankind as the king by listening to the voice of the deceiver and by actually imagining that God's best interests for us are perhaps not that good at all and maybe there could be alternatives. Then the conclusion was that really at the heart of sin is rebellion. Essentially it is rejecting the king who really is on the throne and putting ourselves in there and saying we are the ones who are in charge. As we carry on, we will probably see that um, the rest of scriptures is also the same, same narrative. It is about rejecting God's king, ultimately, and therefore placing ourselves on the throne as the king. But how does that work out? We are still in the very early days of this, um, and so we are going to think about um, this story that we find in Genesis chapter 11, which um, I'm calling the height of rebellion or the height of rejecting the king. Now, why do I call it the height? Uh, for two reasons. One, because there is a tower being built there, so I'm calling it the height of rebellion, but also because there is a momentum that has been building up all the way from chapter 3, uh, uh, coming into chapter 4, uh, chapter 5, then 6, and then 7, 8, and 9. Uh, we get to see more and more of that builder. By the time we are then getting to chapter 11, it is uh, like a crescendo. It is the height of it. So um, let's just uh, have a think um, about that. Let me read the, the few verses in chapter 11 and then I will show you how this is a crescendo and what it actually means. Now, the whole earth had one language and same words, says the writer. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shina and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower 
with its top in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have one language. And this is only the beginning, the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down there and confuse their language, so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of the earth. So I am sure that would be a familiar story, familiar the story of the Tower of Babel. Here we find a people gathering and indeed saying, let us build a city. Then we are told something quite interesting there, that they say, um, let, let us make bricks, let's burn them thoroughly. And we are told that uh, they used brick instead of stone, and they also use bitumen um, for mortar. It's very interesting detail there, but I believe that um, Moses, who is writing this story, and he is um, writing it en route from um, Egypt onto the promised land, he is speaking to people who would have understood the building dynamics of the time and earlier on. So the idea of building with bricks um, that are burned thoroughly would perhaps be familiar with these men who had been making bricks in uh, Egypt for years. And the idea of bitumen perhaps would have also been familiar uh, the idea of them joining or using this as um, a joining uh, agent would have also been familiar. But even more interesting is what actually they say afterwards is that they want to build themselves a city, a city that is uh, some built-up structure. And they also want to build a tower with its top in the heavens, in the heavens. And that's instructive. And actually they're also saying, let us make a name for ourselves. Why? Lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And that's striking because here it seems a reversal of what um, the creation mandate earlier on was. So, for example, it is people's initiative here that seems to be uh, the driving force. You know, they are the people who are saying, come, let us, let us do this. Let us build ourselves a city. Let's make ourselves a home. And this is as opposed to Genesis chapter 1, 10 chapters earlier, where God makes a dwelling place. God makes a dwelling place. And he actually called, you know, it's the earth that he, uh, he makes as a dwelling place. But now, human beings at their own initiative are saying, we will make for ourselves um, a city. Um, we are also going to put up a tower. Now we want to dwell in this place and actually we want the top in the heavens we wanted to be able to access the heavens and maybe it's good for me to clarify here that the language of the or the usage of the word earth and heavens here 
particularly in the Old Testament usage of the word, heavens in sort of um, Hebrew understanding of the words is the dwelling place of God, whereas earth is the dwelling place of man. This is like the home of man as made by God, and heavens gives the idea of the dwelling place of God as used uh, particularly in, in Genesis and, and in most, most Old Testament texts. So here you have people, they want to have a city and they want its tower to be in the heaven. They want to be able to access, um, figuratively speaking, they want to be able to access the heavens themselves. But you also get uh, the motivation behind these really is because they want to make a name for themselves. They want to gain some glory. They want to fight a name for themselves. Again, as opposed to Genesis 1, where God did everything and it was for his glory. He saw that it was good. But here, human beings, created beings, now want to make a name for themselves. They don't want a name to be given to them. No, they want to make a name for themselves. The other motivation that you notice here is that they do not want to be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. So they want to be gathered. They want to be in one place, in one city, and they want a tower uh, at the top of it that actually pierces right into the skies or goes into the heavens. Can I submit to us that this is the height of rejection of God's uh, original plan and purpose for mankind in Genesis chapters 1 and 2 in the creation story. Here are now people sort of grabbing the reins and saying, we are now in charge. We're going to make home for ourselves and not just a home, a place to dwell. We're also going to, you know, build fame for ourselves. We're also going to gather, in, you know, instead of being scattered, which was a creation mandate, fill the earth, multiply, you know, scatter everywhere. No. We want to gather. And here then is an affront against God's original purpose and plan. Here is an affront against his own leadership. Like I said earlier on, this has been building up all the way from chapter 3, which itself was um, ultimate rejection, as we noticed it last time when we had this podcast. But now it's moving on. Because of course in chapter 4, Genesis, you get murder. So human beings have discovered that um, others may not necessarily have a right to exist. And so Cain kills his brother, uh, Abel. Um, it's that common phrase that we may have heard before, that you get the second man killing the third man because of the sin of the first man. And, you know, in the same same chapter in chapter four, you get polygamy. You get a guy there who takes on two wives. You know it's now beginning to to get quite twisted. Although there is a glimmer of hope towards the end of the chapter, um, when uh, Seth will be born and people will begin to call on the name of the Lord. You know much of what continues on, really, um, is ongoing sin. It, you you get to see a bit of um, the genealogies of Seth there. It's a bit promising. Um, but even though it is a genealogy, uh, it is interspersed with the words, and he died. That means everybody dies, really. The consequence of sin is here. The, um, the idea that now life cannot be lived fully or 
um, cannot be fully enjoyed as was the original intention, now seems to be very clearly realized and repeated in chapter 5. In chapter 6, you get this the great regret here. Wickedness is all over the earth. Um, you know, every intention of the thoughts of humankind was evil continually. And we are told that the Lord regretted that he had made mankind and it grieved him, writes um, Moses, to his very deep heart. Well, it grieved the Lord. From there then, what you get is judgment. Judgment. Uh, we are told um, elsewhere in the New Testament that there was violence on the earth and wickedness of mankind. And until the Lord then chooses um, to save Noah and his family, and then judges the rest of, all, uh, of the created order with his big flood. And the story carries on the entirety of chapter 7 and chapter 8, and even chapter 9 is uh, coming to the end of it. Of course, in chapter 9 towards the end, we also find this uh, rather sad story of um, uh, the sons of the sons of Noah. There is this disrespect for their father, and there is uh, judgment. In chapter 10, you get then the table of nations, different peoples, and perhaps the places that they were to dwell, as we are told elsewhere. Then we get to chapter 11. The build-up has been there. Sin has been working its way um, through human race. It's just continuing. It's just like you know, cancer that just seems to be multiplying and multiplying and multiplying and eating the very core until it brings it down to death. Here now, then, chapter 11 is like a crescendo. It's like the height of it. It will now be visible. It now open rebellion. There are times that some, some, some things can be subtle, can be somehow hidden. Now, it is be visibly you know, seen in a city. And there's going to be a tower that you cannot ignore that actually reaches to the heavens. Why is this the case? Well... Can I say that uh, sin is almost always a rejection of God's leadership. Instead of God's word, listen to human words, listen to the words of men. Instead of listening to God's good news, listen to the words of men, the ideas of men, which are often selfish and oftentimes they're just seeking a particular agenda, often a selfish agenda actually. Those words of men, people trying to prop themselves up. It's a rejection of God's original purpose and plan. But he had said to um, Adam that he had to scatter and fill the earth. Now, people are saying, let us gather. We do not want to be scattered. don't want what God is saying. No, we want ourselves to be somewhere gathered in a city. And we also want a tower. And again, it is seeking own glory instead of instead of that which is given by God. He what, who defines and says, this is good. No, we want our own glory. We want a city. We want our names to be there in all of history. We want to be remembered. Or we want um, to preserve our own name and our own glory. Instead of knowing that all glory be to God. All glory be to Him. We want our names also to be etched somewhere in the annals of history. But not only that, perhaps this is the most uh, serious affront that there is, is that 
we want to go to God. What's that language here? It's perhaps not as the most obvious thing, but the idea of you know a city that has got its uh, um, you know tower in the heavens. There is an idea there that we want to go to where He is. I think this can also be uh, seen in uh, how people used to have these kind of structures. Uh, historians uh, would, would say that would have been called the tower to heaven. The technical word for it would be ziggurats. And they are, they are all over uh, Middle East and also parts of, uh, parts of Egypt where people would build these spiral towers and they would be called like either a stairway to heaven or a, or a path to where God is. And Seborica is speaking here, you, you almost see that these are human beings who are of course more than weak, but they are trying to go to where God is. They are trying to say, well, we can find God on our own terms. We can build a tower with bricks and um, and we can, we can use bitumen. And if we keep on piling a lot of those bricks together and create some pathways, we might somehow come or actually get to where God is so we can get to his dwelling. If that be the, you know, an honest um, representation of that, then we would see the folly of human religion. It is our own groping. It is human beings trying to grope around and try to go to where God is. As opposed to what we see earlier on, you know, God himself actively coming to his people. And he's the one who would appear to them. He would come to where people are. And that is amazing because the God of the Bible is one who appears, one who comes to where these human beings are. You don't really imagine that you can ever go to him, especially on your own effort. What does this show us? It does show us that really at the heart um, of our sinful thinking would be to replace God's word with our ideas. It would be to seek our own glory rather than God's glory. It would be to try and seek God at our own terms rather than the terms that he has given us. And I think it's important for us to think about that as we reflect about leadership. Is it a leadership that's founded on God's word? Or is it the latest uh, leadership ideas or even some ideas from the past that we think can work? Is it a leadership that seeks its own glory or that seeks the glory of God? Is it a leadership that seeks that God would be glorified through perhaps our instrumentality, perhaps being our um, using our vocations, gifts, and abilities? Or is it a leadership that just seeks its own name and its own glory? And finally, is it a leadership that's actually trying to grope and trying to um, lead us in a direction that uh, is not how God has revealed himself? The God of the Bible is Emmanuel. He's one who comes to us. He is one that's actually leading us into idolatry, like Wasser idolatry uh, of these people who are gathering to grind, to try and go to God. God has come to us through his son, Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, and he calls us to have faith in him. In those days of ignorance, God overlooked, we are told in Acts 17.30, but now he commands everyone everywhere to 
repent. I thank you for listening uh, to this podcast uh, today. I look forward to uh, thinking about how the Lord is going to contrast that story uh, with the following chapter in Genesis 12 as we carry on in our biblical theology of leadership. Thank you for listening today. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Gracepoint Church Podcast. For more information and for past episodes, please check our website gracepointchurch.org. Please join us again on Mondays, Wednesdays and Fridays to listen to another new episode. Goodbye.